2: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, as the president declares a national emergency over the coronavirus, we'll take a special look at the two areas Americans are most concerned about, the health and economic risks posed by the disease. As the COVID-19 pandemic takes hold across the country, the nation's top expert on virus, Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institutes of Health, will be here. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb will also join us. And then we'll turn to the impact on our now uncertain economy as Americans struggle to adjust to the new reality. Is a recession ahead? Will the stock market recover? How will the hard hit airline industry cope with new travel restrictions and more Americans staying home? We'll talk with White House economic advisor, Larry Kudlow and also the head of Bank of America, Brian Moynihan. First, an update on the virus and its toll. In the U.S. 49 states and the District of Columbia have reported over 3,000 cases of coronavirus. The death toll stands at least at 60. Globally, at least 142 countries have reported over 156,000 cases, with the international death toll now at over 5,800. And there are now travel restrictions on non-Americans coming into the U.S. from 28 European countries, including new restrictions on incoming travel from the U.K. and Ireland that will go into effect Monday night. We begin with three reports from around the world. First up, White House correspondent Paula Reed. Paula?
3: Good morning, Margaret. This is a critical moment for the Trump administration, but one that has been marred by mixed messages and missed opportunities to prepare and make tests widely available. After days of saying he didn't need one, President Trump revealed that he has been tested for coronavirus. The White House revealed yesterday that the president has tested negative for coronavirus after coming in close contact with at least two foreign officials who have tested positive.
4: I decided I should based on the press conference yesterday, people were asking did I take the test.
3: But Friday night, when the president says he was tested, the White House released a memo from his physician insisting testing for COVID-19 is not currently indicated. It's the latest in a series of mixed messages from the administration as it continues to defy its own guidance on shaking hands.
5: Because it almost becomes a habit.
3: And social distancing. But on Saturday, members of the press had their temperatures checked before attending a presidential briefing. Over the weekend, the House passed legislation that includes free testing, paid sick leave, food assistance, and expanded unemployment benefits. But no cost estimate has been provided for the bill, which now heads to the Senate. The president has also declared a national emergency, freeing up to $50 billion to combat the outbreak. That announcement, made alongside top business executives in the Rose Garden, helped stocks rebound Friday after their worst day in 30 years. In addition to those new restrictions on travel from the United Kingdom and Ireland, the president said he may also consider restricting travel here in the U.S. He encouraged Americans not to travel, even domestically, if they don't have to. Margaret.
2: Paula, thank you. We go now to the heavily impacted community of New Rochelle, New York, and CBS News correspondent Meg Oliver. Meg.
6: Margaret, this drive through testing site is open 12 hours a day and has been testing hundreds of patients. It's the state's effort to keep people who could be sick out of health care facilities where they could potentially infect more people. Are you here to be tested? A steady stream of residents drove up and lined up for coronavirus testing just north of New York City. 70-year-old Michael Myers told us he got tested as a precaution. How are you feeling?
4: We feel fine.
6: He takes care of his 41-year-old son who has a spinal cord injury. How are you coping with all of this?
7: Day by day, it's, you know, every day things change.
6: In Kirkland, Washington's Life Care Center, the emergency has only grown. The number of positive cases jumped to 47 more employees at the center Friday night. Hospitals are racing to respond, setting up triage and evaluating how many patients they could handle if there's an onslaught of new cases.
1: We would get them right into the back to be uh, treated right away without, without a second thought.
6: Coast to coast, drug stores and grocery stores are no match for consumers who rush to store shelves for supplies. Apple and Nike both announced drastic action, closing most of their stores around the globe until March 27th. Back in the containment zone in New Rochelle, Jerry DeJesus is struggling to keep his restaurant open. He's lost 25% of his customers.
8: People in this area want to just be get back to normality. Right now, there's panic in the air.
6: For now, this is the new normal. The governor's office tells me they plan to open a new mobile testing site in Long Island in a few days. Their goal is to test 6,000 people a
2: day by next week. Margaret. Meg, thank you. We turn now to London and CBS News senior foreign correspondent Elizabeth Palmer for an update on what's going on in Europe.
9: Good morning. Italy still has by far the highest number of positive coronavirus cases in the world. But just last week, the WHO named Spain as the new epicenter of the pandemic because the number of cases there suddenly rocketed up tenfold. Normally crowded Spanish streets are empty. The government has ordered people to stay home unless absolutely necessary. And Spain's Prime Minister confirmed on television that his own wife has tested positive. All across Europe, cities are eerily quiet. In France, Italy and Belgium, as well as parts of Germany, cafes, bars and restaurants are closed as officials scramble to slow the spread of the virus. Schools are closed too and even the great landmarks like Rome's Trevi Fountain and the Eiffel Tower. Though Paris being Paris, the tough new rules didn't slow down left-wing protesters yesterday facing off with the police. It's Iran that has the second highest number of cases on earth. And it's now struggling to treat victims in ill-equipped hospitals. But notably, nowhere is there panic. Instead, displays of solidarity. like lockdown Italians singing from their windows. And in Spain, a mass ovation for healthcare workers manning the hospital front lines. Here in the UK, we've still got far fewer positive cases than in most of Europe. So the government hasn't yet closed the pubs and the restaurants and the schools, but it is clearly hedging its bets. For example, it's announced that it's planning to buy as many ventilators as it can get its hands on. Margaret?
2: Liz, thank you. And we've just learned that the UK is now advising against non-essential travel to the US. We turn now to Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at NIH. Dr. Fauci, thank you for making time. I know you're quite busy. Um, You said this week, we are not at the peak, and this is going to get worse. How much worse? What are the numbers?
5: Well, I can't give you numbers, because it's really going to depend on the effectiveness of our response. And our response, I mean, if you just leave the virus to its own uh, devices, it will go way up like we have seen in Italy. That's not going to happen if we do what we're attempting to do and are doing. And that's... How do we
2: get ahead of it? Well,
5: the way you get ahead of it is that, as as I try to explain to people, that I want people to assume that I'm over or that we are overreacting because if it looks like you're overreacting, you're probably doing the right thing because we know from China, from South Korea, from Italy that what the virus does, it goes, percolates along, and then it takes off. So, what we've got to do is a couple of things, and we're doing it. One is preventing new infections from coming in, hence the travel restriction, and the other is doing containment and mitigation within the country. And it is correct. THAT THE INFECTIONS ARE GOING TO GO UP. OUR JOB IS TO MAKE SURE IT DOESN'T DO THE MAXIMUM PEAK AND ACTUALLY BLUNTS. WITHIN THAT BLUNT, THERE WILL BE MANY NEW INFECTIONS. WE WANT TO MAKE SURE WE DON'T GET TO THAT REALLY BAD PEAK.
2: AND AMERICANS' LIVES HAVE CHANGED DRAMATICALLY IN THE WEEK WE JUST WENT THROUGH AND THEY'RE GOING TO CONTINUE TO CHANGE. PEOPLE AREN'T SUPPOSED TO BE VISITING NURSING HOMES. PEOPLE ARE BEING TOLD TO WORK FROM HOME. SCHOOLS ARE SHUTTING DOWN. GIVE US THE REALITY CHECK, THOUGH. What is the mortality rate and what is the recovery rate?
5: Right. Well, the issue is, if you look historically, right now when the United States were collecting data, it looks similar to what we've seen in some other places. If you look at the totality, China dominated that previously. The mortality was about 3%. Okay, that's quite high for any kind of respiratory disease. If you look at the other countries, it's somewhat less. If you count all the people who are getting infected and are not being counted because they're not coming to the attention of a healthcare provider, then mortality will likely come down to somewhere around one percent or less. But even that is serious, and that's why we've got to take this seriously. Because if you look at the typical seasonal flu, it's 0.1 percent. So this is a virus that transmits readily. It's a virus that has a high degree of morbidity and mortality, and that's the reason why we've got to do all of our forces. Now, if you look at the recovery rate, the recovery rate is minus what the mortality is. So if, there, if the mortality is 1%, it's 99% recovery rate. If the mortality is even less, overwhelmingly more people recover from this than get into serious trouble. There's no doubt about that. But we wanna make sure that we not only decrease the rate of infection, we protect the vulnerable people who are within that percentage that have a much higher degree of morbidity and mortality.
2: THE PRESIDENT INDICATED THAT HE IS LOOKING AT TRAVEL RESTRICTIONS, INCLUDING WITHIN THE COUNTRY. SHOULD AMERICANS GET ON A PLANE RIGHT NOW?
5: WELL, IT DEPENDS ON WHAT THE REASON FOR GETTING ON THE PLANE. ANYTHING THAT'S IN MY MIND, PARTICULARLY IF YOU ARE A PERSON WHO'S ELDERLY OR WHO FALLS WITHIN THE CATEGORY OF UNDERLYING CONDITIONS, YOU SHOULD REALLY THINK TWICE BEFORE PUTTING YOURSELF IN A SITUATION WHERE YOU'RE IN A CROWDED PLACE FOR AN EXTENDED PERIOD OF TIME. YOU
2: WOULDN'T GET ON A PLANE. right
5: now. Me, There are a number of reasons why I wouldn't get on a plane, but if I were not doing the job that I'm doing because of my age, I would very seriously think about not doing any travel like that.
2: Should Americans get up and go to the office tomorrow?
5: Well, you know, it depends on the situation that you're in. To the extent possible, teleworking should be done to the extent that you could do it. I mean, there are some jobs you can't telework, let's be real. But if you can, you should. You should avoid crowded places, and and that's the things that we've been talking about all along right now. The CDC has a nice website. You go in, you talk about the different kinds of mitigations at different levels of involvement.
2: Don't go to crowded places. France is trying to close down restaurants and cafes and bars. Should that happen here in the United States? You know,
5: every single day, we meet with the task force and we take a look at what's going on. And you don't want to make a pronouncement that no one should ever go into a restaurant. I mean, I think that might be overkill right now, but everything is on the table. It may come to the situation where we strongly recommend. Right now, myself personally, I wouldn't go to a restaurant. I I just wouldn't, because I don't want to be in a crowded place. I have an important job to do. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm going to be all of a sudden self-isolating for 14 days.
2: For those Americans who are now returning from Europe, how do we make sure that that doesn't allow for further spread? How do you screen yeah, them? you
5: know, I think the issue is if you look at what's happening now for people who are coming back from like the European countries, when they get back in here, they're having an, an enhanced screening when they come back.
2: What does that mean? That, that, well,
5: no, no, actually just looking at them, seeing if they're sick, giving them a piece of paper. Here's a telephone number. Here's what you need to watch out for. Watch out for these symptoms. And importantly, 14 days of self-isolation if you come from one of those countries that are on that list. Period. Period. You come back 14 days of voluntary self-isolation.
2: Now, the federal government could invoke authorities to do things like quarantine. Right. For places that are hotspots, like New Rochelle, like Seattle. Right. Would you like to see that?
5: Well, it depends on the individual circumstance. The problem, Margaret, with my making a pronouncement of what should be done, you've got to look at what the situation is at the local level. I mean, for example, in New York city in in New Rochelle. It's a very difficult situation up there. So Governor Cuomo made some important decisions, which, in my mind, looking at what he did, were the right decision.
2: The American College of Surgeons has told hospitals that they need to prepare to cancel, particularly elective surgeries. That implies that hospitals are about to get overwhelmed. Do we have the hospital capacity to deal with what is coming? And if we don't, what is the plan? Okay. Is it to use military hospitals?
5: Well well, first of all, again, you've got to look at what the the, the the bracket is of the possibility. If in a worst case scenario, and I don't want to scare people, that you always gotta consider there's a worst case scenario, there's a best case scenario, and there's something in the middle. We're doing everything we can to not allow that worst case scenario to happen. If it happens, which I don't think it will, because I, I can see the effort that we're putting you in. You don't
2: think hospitals will be overwhelmed? No, no,
5: I don't say that. I say it's possible that they could be. But when you say that people get frightened, but concentrate on what you can do to not make that happen. But if, in fact, there's a scenario that's very severe, it is conceivable that will happen. And that's the reason why you have things like strategic national stockpile for, for uh, ventilators and things like
2: that. There's concern about shortages of key supplies like that. Ventilators, we, we, cotton swabs.
5: Margaret, we would be unrealistic if we were not concerned that that possibility exists. What we need to do but
2: is Can to, you reassure the public that there is planning for those eventualities? I know you're saying it's the worst planning.
5: Case. There's absolute, 100%, take that to the bank. There's planning to address that. But we would be unrealistic to not pay attention to the possibility that it could happen.
2: So, millions of children across this country um, are looking at the possibility of not being able to go to school for at least a few weeks, right. possibly longer. Right. Their parents are going to try to figure out what to do with them. Right. right. Can they take them to playgrounds? Is that safe?
5: Well, you know, it depends. If you have a bunch of kids in the playground, I don't think it's a good idea to congregate anybody anywhere to the extent of that any
2: you age, period. Yes, of course, yes. Uh, because there is that perception that if you're younger, uh, you're not as well, if, at risk. Yes,
5: you're indeed. But if a if a young individual, a child, gets infected, they may do perfectly well from a physical standpoint, but they may bring it home to a person who is susceptible. So we can't discount the the issue of children need also to follow certain of these rules.
2: So if I were standing next to someone who was later diagnosed with the coronavirus, right. What do I do? Do I have to wait until I'm exhibiting symptoms, actually ill, yeah. before I can get a test?
5: No. Right now, if you feel, if you are in a high risk situation, and remember, just being in the room, you know, six feet apart or whatever from someone
2: sitting, having dinner, uh, yeah. shaking well, hands. Well, see,
5: dinner is different. If, it, it depends. If you're having dinner for multiple hours with someone who has symptoms and finds out that that person is sick, that puts you in a higher risk. That's something that you really need to essentially hunker down, get a physician, call them up, get instructions of what to do. If you walk into a room and you find out three days later that somebody in that room was infected and was asymptomatic when they were infected, your risk is very low, very low.
2: And in the circumstance, I need that test. When will it be available? I know you've made the point. It's not just shipping them out. It's <clears throat> getting them operational. Exactly. How long before that happens? You
5: know, I would hope, based on what we've heard from the CEOs of the companies that are now getting involved, that they're going to be getting those tests out there in an easier way, not only to be out there, but to actually get them quite soon. They're talking within a, several days to a week to start to see it rev up. That so that means
2: testing within several days yeah, or a week?
5: Right. But that doesn't mean you're going to be maximum, because nothing goes from zero to maximum. So if the companies are going to get involved, the laboratory groups that do this for a living, when they get involved, it's going to go like this, so that you're going to start seeing tests more and more available until pretty soon they're going to be quite available. But in the next day or so, you're going to find people who are going to say, you know, I wanted to get a test yes. and I couldn't get it. That's going to happen. but. The future, as opposed to looking back, the future is going to be like this, as opposed to the inhibitions we've seen before.
2: Several days or a week. You know, again... That's your time frame. See, the,
5: the problem with the pinning down right. to days, it's going to be gotcha if you don't have it in a, well, in you know, a few we, days. Well, no, we hear Not from a you. lot of viewers I, I on Twitter yeah, and elsewhere yeah. saying
2: they're concerned yeah, about and, being and able they to they get this. And they should be
5: concerned. But what we can say that now that we have the private sector involved, we're going to see an entirely different scene than we've seen the, pre- the, the, the weeks previously, for sure.
2: Dr. Fauci, thank you for your time. Good to be with you. And we will be back in a moment with Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Stay with us.
6: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall.
2: And we're back now with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Good to see you here, uh, back for another week. Thanks. Um, And you've been telling us sort of what to prepare for next, and I want to dive into some of that with you. You heard Dr. Fauci say they're coming, but they're not really here yet in terms of kits and availability uh, to actually go and have it processed if you need a test. What's the timeline?
10: Well, I think we're going to see a dramatic increase in diagnostic capability this week. So I think by the end of the week, tests are going to be readily available. They, they approve tests on what we call high throughput systems, meaning systems that can run literally tens of thousands of tests a day inside academic labs or the large clinical labs like LabCorp and Quest. Once those facilities have those systems online, they're going to be able to process an awful lot of tests, and they'll have them online at some point this week. So by Friday, I think tests, testing is going to be pretty ubiquitous.
2: Now... HOSPITALS ARE TRYING TO PLAN FOR THE FUTURE HERE. HOW ARE THEY POSITIONED? ARE THERE ENOUGH MEDICAL SUPPLIES?
10: NOT IF WE HAVE A WUHAN-STYLE OUTBREAK IN A MAJOR CITY OR MULTIPLE CITIES, WHICH IS MY CONCERN THAT WE CAN HAVE OUTBREAKS OF THAT PROPORTION IN MULTIPLE U.S. CITIES. IF YOU LOOK AT WUHAN... A WUHAN-STYLE. Wuhan,
2: THE NUMBERS THAT WE ARE SEEING AND HAVE SEEN IN CHINA.
10: RIGHT, IN, in A MAJOR U.S. CITY. REMEMBER, WUHAN WAS THE SIZE OF NEW YORK CITY. AT THE PEAK OF THAT EPIDEMIC, THEY HOSPITALIZED ABOUT 20,000 people. 10,000 were in serious or critical condition, and 2,000 were intubated. To give you a basis of comparison, New York State, the entire state has 50,000 hospital beds and about 3,000 critical care beds, and about 20,000 of those beds are in New York City. So if we have a Wuhan-style outbreak in New York City, that's going to overwhelm the system. So they need to be building surge capacity right now um, in anticipation of that possibility. Now, there's ways to avert it, but that's the risk that we face right now.
2: Tens of thousands.
10: Well, cert- we'll, hit ter- we'll certainly hit tens of thousands of cases in the U.S. Hopefully we won't hit hundreds of thousands of cases. But right now, if you look at some of the good research out of the Hutch by Trevor Bedford and others, um, they're, they're saying that there's probably 10 to 40,000 cases right now distributed across the U.S. I think the risk that we have in the U.S. is we're a much more mobile population. China was able to confine their, out- their epidemic largely to Wuhan. The risk here is that we have multiple cities that are seated right now, and so we'll have multiple Wuhans. That's the bad case scenario.
2: Multiple Wuhans is an incredible thing to say. Um, The Pentagon came out and put travel restrictions on U.S. troops traveling domestically they can do something like that. Do you expect to see other government agencies and should Americans be expected to essentially be on lockdown?
10: Look, there's no question that the steps we're taking right now is changing the course of this epidemic. We're already impacting this, but I think we need to do much more. And so think steps like banning government employees from non-essential travel or state employees, that will have an additional impact we need to be doing all of these things, leaning very hard into this. The best case scenario is we look back a month from now and we say to ourselves, wow, we overreacted. You wanna be in a position, and Dr. Fauci made this mm-hmm. point as well, you wanna be in a position to say, we, we we overreacted, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was gonna be, but this is a once in a generation pathogen. We have never seen anything like this before in modern times. This is gonna be historic right now.
2: So should cities like Seattle and New Rochelle that are hotspots be on lockdown? Uh,
10: I don't think we can quarantine a U.S. city and lock it down and deny people their liberty in this country. I think what we can do is slow economic activity to a point where people have no place to go. If you close the theaters and you close the restaurants, you close large gatherings, you tell people not to have dinner parties, you tell businesses to have non-essential workers telework, people stay home. Um, There's no place to go. I think that's the solution in the United States, not to to put a city on lockdown. I don't think we're going to get there. We might. I hope not.
2: Is, a, is what New York State doing a model for the rest of the country? I
10: think Andrew Cuomo has been leading very far ahead. I think he's been very aggressive in doing it a good job. I'm concerned that the city hasn't closed public schools. Private schools are closed. Public schools are not. Yeah. And you do start to worry that people's ability to protect themselves is going to break along socioeconomic lines where pe- lower-income Americans will not have the same opportunities that middle wage and higher-wage earners will because they can telework, they send their kids to private school, they're in suburban right. districts that close. That's got to be a concern.
2: And we will talk about that ahead um, with with, uh, Larry Kudlow and others. But I want to take a quick break and come back on the health risks, more conversation with Dr. Scott Gottlieb and some of your questions answered ahead. Stay with us. For more information on what you can do to stay safe during the coronavirus crisis, please go to our website, nation.com or check with the CDC. Coming up, more on the health risks of coronavirus plus a look at its impact On the economy. Stay with us.
6: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car.
2: Welcome back to Face the Nation. We are back now with more from the former head of the FDA, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and then we will take a look at the economic impact of the coronavirus crisis as lives across this country have changed in the course of this week. Doctor, um, we were talking about hospitals being basically able to help people if they get the virus or anything else. Are they going to be overwhelmed? We are starting to see things like pictures of tents set up outside of hospitals. Is that something other hospitals should be doing, either isolating or changing triage, or is this about simply not having enough beds?
10: Well, hospitals have emergency <clears throat> protocols, and they're implementing those right now, and that's very prudent, um, trying to build facilities to offload some of the capacity from the hospital onto other sites so the ERs don't get overrun. We have about a million hospital beds in this country, about 100,000 are critical care beds, 50,000 of those in medical intensive care unit beds at any one time, most of those ICU beds are filled and hospitals are about 70% 70 occupied. So we don't have a lot of excess capacity. We also don't have a lot of capacity with excess uh, respirators. There's about 60,000 full-featured respirators in the country, about 8,900 in stockpile. So if we do have multiple epidemics in multiple large U.S. cities, the system will become overwhelmed. I think we can handle Uh, a Wuhan in one major U.S. city and pulse resources into that. What I worry about again is multiple cities having that kind of an outbreak.
2: Because if you don't have enough ventilators or other equipment, doctors have to start making choices about who gets what.
10: Unfortunately, there's How about, about 100,000 other ventilators that aren't full-featured ventilators but could be used in a pinch. And so what we need to do is try to free up capacity right now. And that's what you see hospitals doing. That's the, what they're doing with these tents and these surge facilities. They need to start discharging patients where they can not doing elective procedures. So they're not bringing in patients. These are hard economic decisions for the hospitals, but this is absolutely what they have to be doing. And we have time to do it. We we do have three or four weeks if we're going to be on that trajectory that China was on to build that surge capacity right now. China did just about everything wrong leading into their lockdown, um, and they still were able to get control of their, their epidemic there. We do have an opportunity now, but every day counts. Every day matters.
2: Is the White House listening to you? The president mentioned you by name this week.
10: Look, I've had I've been fortunate to have the opportunity to talk to officials in the White House all through this. Um, Some of the calls that I was making to the conversations I was having go back to January. They've been on top of this. I mean, they've been concerned about this. I've been talking to White House staff and the staff's Mm -hmm. been concerned about this. Um, And so I'm going to continue to try to provide whatever help I can.
2: All right, Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Thanks a lot. Good to have you. With us once again. And we're going to turn now to the director of the White House National Economic Council, Larry Kudlow. Good to have you here. Thank you, Margaret. American lives changed dramatically. There is an economic impact to all of this. People are worried about paychecks and Mm. the like. I want to ask you specifically about the bill that the House has passed that would provide paid leave and other assurances. When do you expect the Senate to vote and for the president to actually sign it into law?
4: Well, it would be a big help. It may not be a perfect bill, but it gets done, essentially, what we want it to get done, take care of individuals, uh, people on hourly wages, families, kids' home, if your spouse is home. A lot of people may have to stay home in the weeks ahead. We want them to get paid. Is and the
2: Senate already scheduling a vote, and will it be on this, the president's this, desk within days?
4: Well, I think the Senate's going to work on it tomorrow. I, I hate to predict that legislative calendar, but I think there's an urgency to this, uh, something we've pushed from the very beginning. You know, again, it, it's about it's about helping families and middle-income and blue-collar-type folks. They should not be penalized financially, and we don't want to force them to go outdoors when they should be indoors. So I, I think this uh, would be a big plus, and, yes, I think the Senate will get it done pretty rapidly.
2: Okay. Um, some big corporations already have paid leave policies. Yes. But this bill doesn't apply to... Yeah, small,
4: medium businesses. That's this med- business is really... If you have 500 that.
2: employees and above, you're not impacted by this bill. Why... How do you guarantee that the people who fall into these categories will still be able to take leave, go home, and put food on their table and F- afford to do what F- the government's telling them to do?
4: F- fall into which categories, Margaret? The lower category?
2: Well, you have... If you're 50 employees or less, you can have a hardship exemption. That's if you're correct. 500 or more employees... You qualify
4: does- for... You'd- if you're 500 if you're in that or range, less, you're impacted. Qualify.
2: If you're above that, you're not. And required. that includes
4: self—that includes self-employed people. Also, it's very important. Well, look, the last word on that, we don't know yet. I mean, if larger companies get into trouble, we will be looking at the possibilities using the full powers of the federal government, which are quite substantial during an emergency declaration like this. We will be looked to helping. ANY INDIVIDUALS WHO MIGHT GET LEFT BEHIND OR MIGHT HAVE A DANGER OF GETTING LEFT BEHIND. YOU KNOW, IN THIS BILL, <clears throat> FREE TESTING, I THINK, IS A VERY BIG THING. AND I ALSO THINK THE FOOD STAMP ADDITIONS, PARTICULARLY IF KIDS HAVE TO COME HOME uh, BECAUSE THE SCHOOLS ARE CLOSED DOWN. SO WE will, we HAVE LOTS OF WAYS AND MEANS TO you know, MAKE SURE NOBODY FALLS THROUGH THE CRACKS. THE here.
2: president's SPEAKING TO GROCERS TODAY, I SAW ON THE SCHEDULE. Um, IF YOU GO INTO A LOT OF GROCERY STORES, THERE ARE EMPTY SHELVES RIGHT NOW. WHAT IS THE SUPPLY LINE LIKE? CAN YOU GUARANTEE PEOPLE THAT THEY WILL BE ABLE TO STAY HOME AND FEED THEMSELVES? WELL,
4: (laughs) I'M GOING TO SAY YES, KNOWING THERE MAY BE SOME EXCEPTIONS TO THIS. Uh, I've I'VE READ ABOUT SOME SITUATIONS WHERE THIS IS A DIFFICULTY, BUT MOST OF OUR SUPPLY LINES ARE WORKING PRETTY WELL IN THE DOMESTIC UNITED STATES. IF I MAY MAKE A POINT, I MEAN, THERE'S A HUGE ECONOMIC CHALLENGE HERE. DO NOT GET ME WRONG. A HUGE ECONOMIC CHALLENGE. ON THE OTHER HAND, MOST OF AMERICA IS STILL WORKING. THERE'S A GOOD STORY IN THE JOURNAL YESTERDAY ABOUT THIS. FACTORIES ARE NOT SHUTTING DOWN ACROSS THE COUNTRY, AT LEAST NOT YET. YET. Um, THE EMPLOYMENT STORY, WHICH MAY BECOME MORE TENUOUS IN THE WEEKS AHEAD, I UNDERSTAND THAT. NONETHELESS, A LOT OF CEOs I TALK TO, THEY'RE DOING EVERYTHING THEY can. I JUST TALKED TO SOMEBODY, CEO OF A BIG CAR COMPANY, NOT TO LAY OFF ANYBODY. DO YOU HAVE
2: PROJECTIONS ON POSSIBLE LAYOFFS? WHAT IS THE WHITE HOUSE PREPARING FOR?
4: I'M NOT GOING TO PUT NUMBERS OUT uh, THIS MORNING. I I WOULD JUST SAY WE'RE we're LOOKING AT EVERYTHING Mm -hmm. RIGHT NOW AS BEST WE CAN. YOU KNOW, SO MUCH OF THIS, BECAUSE OF THE UNUSUAL NATURE OF THIS uh, VIRUS, so much of this is new, it's very hard to model stuff you don't have much experience with. We're going, in my view, we go day by day, fact by fact, report by report, phone call by phone call. But I do want to make this point. Across the board, in order to assist, I call it fiscal assistance, in order to assist individuals and families and small businesses, we put on the board $400 billion already. Mm -hmm. And that includes the paid family leave uh, that you're talking about before. What it, about it also includes small business assistance, a yep. very large, significant sum. It also includes deferred tax payments with no interest penalties. What about
2: the travel related industries? But Are all, you looking at a bailout but for also, airlines, but like l- loan guarantees?
4: Before I get to the bailout, I also want to mention some other important areas here. Present president is going to, at, by executive order, I reckon, we will. Uh, Defer the interest on student loans for the right. rest of the year. Also, because of the mishmash between Saudi Arabia and Russia, uh, who want to put our energy people out of business, they never will. We are purchasing, purchasing 75 the- million barrels from the strategic right. petroleum. But you Reserve. said, I
2: just want to clarify. You use the word bailout.
4: No, I know. What not. is
2: well, what is it that you are preparing to do for the travel related industries? Is it loan guarantees? Can airlines plan on that?
4: It could be. Look, we're talking to the airlines, Treasury Secretary Minutians deeply involved. We talk every day. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna go up to the hill this week. We will have a number of new proposals uh, with respect to the airlines. We've got right. issues on cruise ships, we've got issues on the whole leisure story. But I, I just feel look, this is a story. THAT WILL BE VERY CHALLENGING IN THE SHORT yes. RUN. BUT, MARGARET, THIS IS NOT A STORY OF YEARS. THIS IS A STORY OF WEEKS AND MONTHS. Okay. WE COME IN STRONG ECONOMIES BY ALL ACCOUNTS, yes. AND I THINK BY THE END OF THIS YEAR, WE WILL BE BACK TO A STRONG ECONOMY, BUT WE'RE TAKING THESE FISCAL ASSISTANCE MEASURES JUST TO MAKE SURE. AND PLEASE, yes. I, I DON'T WANT TO LEAVE OUT THE PRESIDENT STRONGLY SUPPORTS the payroll tax holiday, yeah. which would be an enormous is bill, benefit we'll to okay. middle-class and blue-collar workers. It well, would we'll be have enormous to see. Benefit. We'll
2: look for you to put that to Congress. Uh, it's not in the current bill. We have to leave it there. Uh, when we come back, the CEO of Bank of America, Brian Moynihan, will join us.
7: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: Bank of America CEO, Brian Moynihan. Uh, Good to have you here.
8: Great to be here, Margaret. Uh,
2: You run one of the biggest banks in the country. You met with the president this week. Um, This has been a swift change in Americans' lives. Um, Are we on the brink of a financial crisis?
8: Well, I think let's step back and think about what we have here. Um, Number one, this is a healthcare crisis and a humanitarian crisis, and we can't forget that we have to take care of people and handle that first. And by the way, that's the answer to the larger question. And I think I'd think about three things. This is a war. We're in a war to contain this virus. The interesting thing is everybody has the same common enemy across the whole world. So the question of how we do that as employers, as private sector, public sector, everybody is key. And so we have to drive that. The second thing going to your question of the banking industry is the bank industry comes in with capital equity that is so different than the last crisis the questions we have to use it wisely and we have to manage the companies well in times of stress and this is a quick change from what was going on as a solidly growing economy and the third thing is as a company we have to take care of our own so our teammates and our customers and clients we have to continue to provide the services we do where 4300 branches open every day the markets are trading every day The wires of trillions of dollars moving through the system every day are going on but at the same time as an employer we have to take precautions to meet are part of the war which is to get our teammates socially distanced to go back to uh, essential operations to make sure we work so it's those three key points and you can't forget that this is a health crisis and we cure that the economic issues will go away quickly right.
2: and, and it's that uncertainty of not knowing when and where that is weighing on everyone so much you said your bank is going to treat this like a natural sure. disaster sure. and help consumers what specifically does that mean if someone can't make their mortgage payment or pay sure. their credit card What are you doing for
8: them? They call the number on the card, and they say, I'm affected by uh, the the disease, and I can't make my payment. We defer the payment. We have done it. We did it for the government employees that were shut down. We have done it for every natural disaster. But we're not alone as a company. The whole industry does this. This is what we do. And then with small businesses and others, when they have issues in terms of cash flow, they come to us, and we help work through it. So the idea is, you don't want people to be penalized, much like the bill in Congress is trying to take care. If you think about it, you're in a war, and you have to deal with the people who are going to fall out of that. And, and the question is, the people in Congress, as Larry was just talking about, they're trying to deal with that more systematically, uh, healthcare, uh, health leave benefits, uh, unemployment benefits. We're trying to deal with the other side, which is, I can't make my payment. Call us, and we'll make it right.
2: And then the consumers are the engine of this economy. Right. People are scared not just looking at the market when they're told to go home when they can't get food at the grocery store when they don't know when their next paycheck is coming how is it that you can be confident the economy is going to come back when we don't know when this is going to end we don't know how many jobs are going to be lost
8: well there's, kind of, there's some interesting things to think about one is what's really going on as of today so we see the data of consumers spending and on things and goods and services and we watch it every day and the aggregate number year over year is still up ten percent plus now today
2: but people are just now right. social distancing and
8: so so what you're going to say is what happens next and right. obviously travel the cruise industry uh movies things like that are are you know changing dramatically restaurants you're hearing the reports that so that's all in front of us but right now it hasn't had the impact people think and so that's the question but if you ask yourself what are we trying to do you heard uh, dr fauci talk about sort of Flattening the curve. Right. It's the inverse of that for us as ba- the banking system. We're trying to make sure the trough stays as high as it can. That it doesn't go down as much. That but we'll other banks are,
2: are predicting a recession. That's two quarters right.
8: of decline. Right, and I think you know our our experts who are the leading research firm in the world. You know, basically, are one point two for the U.S. Now that'll be. A, a tale of four quarters that are different, Economica. you'll have growth in the first quarter, they don't go down, you know, maybe f- flat, but all the, they've gone from 1.7% to 1.2%, so they've come down, but they're saying it recovers given the healthcare crisis being solved. But, and one of the things you can look at is what's happening in China. We talked to our clients in China, and we had teammates in China in Hong Kong and places like that this was an issue in January of social distancing separation eighty percent of employees are back to work at the our factories our, our,
2: are, are right. we see propaganda photos uh, you're saying it's real you know, China I'm, is I'm talking really about back to
8: work. Cu- clients of ours who employ have factories in China are back sixty seventy eighty percent which is good news because the supply chain of goods is there the question then is will the demand Right. In the United States and Europe, be there, and that's coming down to solving the healthcare that all crisis.
2: Matters because that's the second largest economy in the world. It is huge to how our our, our global economy functions. The Federal Reserve, right. um, the ex, the president said yesterday, he wants more action to be taken. Right. What do you expect to happen? I, what needs to happen to stabilize the markets so because I they think are under they need such to Provide,
8: pressure. provide liquidity and, and continuous liquidity, and so. In these situations, that's what dries up. People back up and and and, and the liquidity dries up. So the treasury markets, again, they've start, they've done major things there. Other government guarantee markets, the money funds, potentially commercial paper. There's a lot of things that are on the table. The central banks around the world have to both provide monetary help it, accommodation. Help rates. They drop rates 50 basis points. The package of things to do are all known. The question is doing it at the appropriate time, and, and more importantly, all the central banks around the world to have the same impact. Meanwhile, we got to solve the healthcare crisis
2: very very quickly. What uh, Larry Kudlow was talking about was providing help potentially to the airlines. Does that need to happen? Does there need to be some version of a bailout?
8: I, I think in a time of you know, time of war against this virus, if Industries are affected in a way that are strategic industries. We ought to help them.
2: Okay. Thank you very much We'll be right back with a look at how the coronavirus is impacting the travel industry
7: Okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I Can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: One of many industries taking a hit from the coronavirus crisis is the travel industry. So there is no better reporter to turn to than our own Chris Van Cleve. He is CBS News' TRANSPORTATION CORRESPONDENT. GOOD MORNING TO YOU, CHRIS. GOOD MORNING. Uh, OVERNIGHT, WE SAW THESE INCREDIBLE PHOTOS OF LINES, PEOPLE PACKED INTO AIRPORTS IN CHICAGO, THERE WERE SOME IN TEXAS. THESE ARE THE KIND OF CROWDS WE'RE SUPPOSED TO BE AVOIDING. WHAT what IS BEHIND THIS? WHY IS THIS HAPPENING?
1: THIS WAS AT the, THE CUSTOMS AREA AT AT LEAST TWO AIRPORTS, CHICAGO AND DALLAS. Uh, and this, I think, came from the, the rush of people coming back from Europe. You know, the, the new travel restrictions have gone into effect there. The U.K. restrictions are going to go into effect uh, Monday night. And some of this had to do, we're hearing, with a new form, that pe- a new health form that people have to fill out that was rushed into use and didn't necessarily get on the airplanes. You, normally, you would fill out the form as you're right. inbound. That didn't happen. Plus, you have the health screenings, which is basically a temperature check, but that adds about a minute a person. So between the form that no one knew about... That they got handed at some point uh, and this temperature check it caused substantial backups it raises questions about the staffing and what was customs and border protection prepared for the number of people that are going to be impacted when you put in a travel restriction uh, to most of europe
2: and when it comes to travel restrictions the president from the podium at the white house yesterday said they were looking at domestic travel restrictions what are they looking at
1: you know, I think right now it's probably a case-by-case situation. Uh, th- this has escalated very quickly. On Thursday, the president was asked about domestic travel restrictions, and he said hasn't been something we talked about but wouldn't rule it out, sort of referencing hot spots like New Rochelle and Seattle. Uh, by you know Friday, the, the Treasury secretary said he'd fly to Los Angeles if he could and that it's safe to travel domestically. Saturday, the president said... He wouldn't travel domestically if you didn't have to. And now they're talking about travel restrictions. So would it, would it be something that probably gets phased in? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is it possible uh, as this goes on and there are there are more outbreaks if that happens, that you could see sort of a lockdown? I think it's possible. I don't think we're there yet. I think they're still trying to figure out what is an appropriate response.
2: And this matters for the financial health of the travel industry, which has a trickle-down effect on whether people even keep their jobs. I mean, you your reporting this week had such incredible statements from the CEOs of some of these uh, firms. British Airways CEO said, this is a crisis of global proportions like no one we have known. This is after going through 9-11.
1: Every single airline executive I have talked to has said this appears to be worse than the impact that 9-11 had on their business. Uh, You are seeing airlines with more cancellations than bookings for the next several weeks that's money going out the door not coming in it's just not a sustainable business model you've delta talking about parking 40 percent uh cutting 40 percent of their capacity parking 300 planes americans cut 75 percent of its international flying they announced that overnight uh parking all of their wide-body airplanes nearly all of them uh this is an unprecedented uh challenge for the airline industry and it, it it makes the business model likely unsustainable
2: and you had bank of america's ceo said if they need help give it to them larry kudlow said they're talking about it what is it that the airlines are asking for is this like a bailout like we saw the auto industry uh, or is this something different
1: you know it has a lot of the same feel as we saw with the auto industry in 2008 where things just keep getting worse and i think what the conversation was on monday of last week uh and what it was by friday is evolving uh and and if domestic flight restrictions go into place, that conversation is going to continue to change. It's hard to see that there's not going to be some kind of a bailout if you want to see the number of airlines we have today in a year.
2: And that's just the difference of whether the government takes an ownership stake uh, and then those companies repay it or whether that's a loan guarantee or some kind of help with you know. And
1: and I think at this point that conversation is evolving and continuing to go on, but the airlines are going to need help.
2: Why are subways still open?
1: So cities view mass transit as critical as an essential service because it links people to jobs and services. Uh, And if you were to cut it off, you also tend to impact um, certain segments of your population, lower income folks, working class people who maybe don't have other options to get around. So the belief is that it's important to keep that running. Uh, We've seen ridership numbers come down. So in some ways, fewer people riding makes it easier to spread out, Um, but they don't want to shut it down if they don't have to.
2: Chris Van Cleve, you will be busy, as will all of us. Thank you very much for your time. We'll be right back. The events in the last week have tested and touched every American, and we have no idea when things will return to normal, or even what that new normal will look like. But as we found out here at CBS News, challenging times do often bring us together. Life dramatically changed this week.
5: I don't want people dying. That's what I'm all about.
6: Forget any physical uh, contact, greetings, thou in a Eastern, uh, Eastern style.
2: As the rest of America began to learn what social distancing really means. At least 57,000 schools are closed, affecting at least 25 million students, leaving working parents wondering how they'll manage it all, and others asking if that daily commute is just too risky. Basketball, soccer, and hockey seasons were suspended. Tournaments, marathons, and baseball's opening day were also postponed or canceled outright as crowds became something new to fear.
7: It's kind of uh, weird circumstances right now.
2: Disneyland and Disney World shut down. The lights went out on Broadway and at Carnegie Hall. The president has called for a national day of prayer, but many churches are closed. And Wall Street's unprecedented 11-year bull market run officially ended last week. Military exercises were also scaled back and protective measures taken to help those serving overseas. Those on the front lines at home, the doctors, nurses, and first responders, continued to show up and serve. As did the journalists who need to keep the public informed. That hit home for all of us at CBS This Week. Our New York headquarters shut down after four of our colleagues tested positive for the virus, leaving us all scrambling to get the news on by remote. That meant it was all hands on deck in our network bureaus and at our stations around the country, but especially here in our Washington bureau, which always punches above its weight, but last week had to produce all CBS News broadcasts. That happened with the strong assist of the scrappy Face the Nation team, which has covered this mysterious virus for months. Journalists never should become the story, but like many Americans, we're all finding ourselves in some extraordinary moments, and those promise to continue. And I'd like to say thank you to everyone at CBS for their work navigating the news during these tumultuous times. We also wish our colleagues in New York a swift recovery. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at NIH, former FDA commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, National Economic Council director Larry Kudlow and Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington.
6: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode.